0: Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website,
1: globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Someone once said, there are people with theories, and there are people with great ideas, and there are people with proven track records. One such person in my life has been Dr. Morris Sheets, and I'm delighted that here on The Leader's Notebook today, Dr. Morris Sheets is our guest. Morris, welcome to The Leader's Notebook.
0: Thank you, Dr. Rutland. I'm delighted to be uh, available to you. Thank you, sir.
1: Good. I'm so, so in awe of the work that you have done. I read... That you may be the only person in the history of Texas and the only person I know. But you're that you may be the only person in the history of Texas to start from scratch and found two different churches in two different cities that both grew to be mega churches.
0: Well, there was some research done, and uh, that came to be the two conclusions. Uh, one of those churches uh, was in Lubbock, Texas, and then the other one was in Dallas, Texas.
1: Well, let's start with the first one, Trinity Church in Lubbock, Texas. I know it, at one point you were well over four thousand members, right. and you started that with a handful in uh, nineteen sixty-four, uh-huh. and uh, and it just uh, it just became. I mean, Lubbock, Texas. It's not exactly Manhattan. It's a nice town. It's got a university there, but a four thousand member church in Lubbock, Texas, in nineteen sixties and seventies. Yeah. That was that was a huge church.
0: Well it was. And uh I never I never really got too carried away with the fact that it was a huge church. I just did my work and I had a great staff and uh we had a wonderful private school that we started and now has over a thousand students. So God gave us great favor, Mark. I really am grateful for that and it's still going very strong to this day.
1: I was uh, I was scheduled to speak at an event at Trinity Church in Lubbock last year. And, of course, COVID shut everything down, so I missed that. So I want you to let everybody at Trinity know they owe me one.
0: <laughs> I will now make a declaration. For every one in leadership in Lova Texas <laughs> that you owe one to Dr. Mark
1: Rutland. That's absolutely <laughs> Well uh, here's a here's something I wanna ask you about. This is very okay. This is a very challenging thing for people is mm-hmm. issues of transition. So I I was teaching the other day to a group of uh, Pentecostal pastors and I I told him when I was in the Methodist church, we used to sing the hymn, Lead On, O King Eternal. Yeah. When I got to the Pentecostal world, everybody was singing, I shall not be moved. And (laughs) I found that Pentecostals were were better at holding on than they were at moving on. But you've made substantial transitions. So let's deal with one. In 1978, pastor of a huge megachurch in Lubbock, Texas. Cruising, cruising, uh-huh. no problem, no issue. Uh-huh. And you took over a problematic Baptist church in Dallas, Texas, Beverly Hills Baptist Church, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, with some issues, with some serious issues. Yeah. And you moved from Lubbock to Dallas and took over this trouble church. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me how you, how did your reasoning go in that?
0: Well, my reasoning was that uh, the pulpit committee of Beverly Hills Baptist Church had. Sought me out several Sunday nights, and they always said basically the same thing. They said, We can't find anyone, and we've been looking all over the place in the circles that we know that understands transition and that specifically understands how to make transition with a Southern Baptist pastor who had passed away, Dr. Howard Knatzer. And they said, you know, but you were trained in the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, so you would understand our dilemma. And all I can tell you is I knew I did understand. I don't mean that arrogantly, God forbid, but I knew that I could probably bring that church back together. And their appeal to wanting me to come and try to salvage the church was a big challenge to me.
1: Having taken over several troubled situations myself, uh-huh. do you find do you find as I did that the the summons to a place of need was attractive that that uh-huh. that i felt I felt the desire to somebody had their ox in the ditch, and I just felt that i I had to go and help yeah. was that it for you too
0: absolutely. That's probably a little better way to describe it than the way I did. But I felt like I could go in there and uh, do a good job. And uh, so I went, and before I knew it, there were all kinds of staff people who were retiring, meaning by that word, (laughs) they left, they went away. They didn't stay with me. So I had to rebuild the staff, and uh, it's hard, hard work, I tell
1: you. It is hard work. I've done it myself, and I know exactly what you mean. Here's my next question, Morris. (laughs) Is the next transition in your life, which really on paper is so difficult to get my mind around. You having pastored two different megachurches in two different cities, now in 1984, basically 20 years after you started Trinity Church in Lubbock, you start completely over again with 25 people. In in Dallas and found Hillcrest Church and it grew to five thousand members. Yes, sir. What, what was the what was behind the? I mean, to start over with twenty five people when you've been pastoring thousands in two different cities, what was up with that?
0: Well, I need to be really upfront about it. These were some very qualified businessmen in Dallas. They, they, they had. A lot of credentials, and uh, I, I knew that that was good for for the future if we ever got a church off the ground. And then in the process of teaching at a local Dallas library, the, these men, these twenty five men there that wanted me to start a church in North Dallas, I I, I came to realize they they really were serious. So I just said. Uh, Well, what kind of money can you put up? I mean, we got to have a major amount of money to find a place in North Dallas where we could build. Well, they were not intimidated by that at all. So there were some extremely large checks from two or three of those men who wanted a charismatic type of church in North Dallas, and I thought they were sincere. That's how it
1: happened, Morris. You've started two churches that grew from a handful to thousands. You pastored another church following uh, the unfortunate death of the pastor and challenges in- internally. I, n- I know there were challenges at Beverly Hills, and I'm aware of what that was. Much of it, but you you did all of those with such a, um, with such a success. You made it look easy, Morris. Uh, We've got a lot of people listening here. There's got to be more to building a successful big church than just pixie dust. I mean, there wasn't just some kind of unique anointing on more sheets. Is there something that you would say, you know, the secret was this? That's
0: a very tough question. If there was a secret, I'm not sure there was one, but if there was a secret, it was the fact that I had made up my mind that I was going to build a church in North Dallas, and that came to me through these men and their interest in wanting to do that sort of thing. And so I, I would say the biggest deterrent to building a church or taking a church to some significant growth is the leadership, or more accurately, the uh, commitment of the pastor, the one that's trying to do this thing of creating a a job. And and it wasn't easy. I mean, we had guys in that group of 25 that, for example, I I think of the word builder. There were two or three of those guys that were builders of homes and houses, and uh, they were significant and what they did. So I had to be significant on what I did. Mm. What I'm trying to say is it wasn't easy because we did have conflict. There's no question about it. And I would say the primary leader of that group of 25 and myself had some very severe conflict. But, my mind was made up. I was going to go through with this
1: i I think that's a very important point I, that you're making. you know. I read the book about Cortez Burn when he landed in the new world. He burned his ships yeah. and uh and i I think in a way you're what you're kind of saying is i just I just made my mind up once I accepted this invitation to start this church. I just wasn't stopping wasn't quitting and wasn't bailing out, and you didn't no, I did not and uh after about
0: two years time they didn't like my style of or at least they said they didn't like my style of leadership so they continued to give to me a petition of 21 names and those were 21 of the original 25 that said we want you to resign and leave dallas (laughs) nice so i can't say this is Wise or unwise? I I don't know. But I was there to stay there. So I went and took that petition to the pulpit over at Jesuit High School, where we were renting to have Sunday services. And I held it up and I said, 21 people want me to leave and I want to know what all of you want me to do. And the the thing sort of blossomed fast. And there was you know, two or 300 people, at least. I, I think there's more like three or four, to be honest, that were there and they all turned out that night. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a rough ball game.
1: Those 20, those 21 people may have done more to unify the the majority of the congregation than anything you could have done. <laughs> I've had the same thing. I agree with that. Sometimes you sometimes your opposition can, can help you if you can live over it. <laughs> I totally
0: agree with that. And, uh, You know, when I study the lives of the apostles, uh, those guys didn't give up when things fell apart.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, they they may have run off and gone fishing for a while, or this, that, and the other, but they had a statement from our Lord and Savior. Go to all the world and preach the gospel. So, I was following that statement, and uh, about half of the, it was more like 400 as I talk about it. About half of that group left and the other half stayed in and we just did the best we could for
1: about two years. And then it just took off. And what happened at uh, Hillcrest was an absolute uh, miracle of growth. I, When m- my family moved to Dallas following my tenure in Florida, uh-huh. we moved to Dallas in order to attend Hillcrest Church. I, I, put, I had to go on the road rebuilding global servants, and I put my wife and kids at Hillcrest Church. I wanted them cared for and ministered to. Yes, you did. And you and Hillcrest Church were a so, great source of strength to my family in a, in a difficult time for us. Hey, I want to ask you about something I remember. It's an interesting thing. I, I never knew anybody else quite to do it. It was how you closed every worship service at Hillcrest. It's It was what you called a benediction. To me, it was almost like a word of prophecy. It was powerful. I, I waited every Sunday for that closing statement. We have one of them. You may be interested to know this. We have one of them framed and hanging in our house that you one of your closing prayers you said that felt like a word of prophecy to me almost what, uh-huh. Is that something am i remembering that differently or do you is uh-huh. is that something you remember the same way
0: no that's what it was uh during the week i would pray and seek the lord for three or four words that would give people hope mm. And then I would close the services out by declaring those three or four words and end up by saying Go and celebrate what God has done here today. To God be the glory now and forever. Amen.
1: It it just sent me out. <laughs> I, I want to. I just want to say that to you. I, I, I remember your sermons. I love your preaching. You and I have done leadership classes together. Uh-huh. I, I love all that. Isn't it strange? Here you are. Now you're older than I am. Advanced years. We're both getting older. Veterans. Yeah. And what I remembered Hillcrest the most was those closing prayers. It really touched my heart.
0: I've heard that so many times, and it was uh, it was something that God gave to me. It was just a gift. I I never call myself a great prophet, but it certainly had a prophetic emphasis to it when you're telling people to go out this week. That was the sort of introductory terminology. Go out this week and remember, nothing can stop you because God is with you. That's an illustration. That's an illustration. But it was true. It, It was true. And God blessed and the church grew, and I'm extraordinarily grateful. To be honest,
1: Morris, you looking back on it now from these years you've been in the ministry, decades now, you were always a pastor, a teacher, leader that was a little hard to put in a box. So you were a guy <laughs> you <laughs> you were a guy that pastored this huge Baptist church in Dallas, Texas. You you founded two churches. Some people would talk, people talk about you and they'd say, oh, he's a charismatic. Other people say, well, I don't know. I'd call him Spearfield. Somebody else said, no, he's a Baptist. And so <laughs> <laughs> you, you just never quite, nobody could ever figure out what pair of shoes you wore. Well,
0: the only pair I was interested in wearing was the shoes that God called me to wear. And I took those shoes and I wore them, be it Southern Baptist. I was showing my wife this morning. I was ordained a Southern Baptist by Beverly Hills Baptist Church, and of all places, the Fair Park Coliseum in Dallas, Texas. Hmm. And I was looking at their deacons, and they had 68 deacons, and they all signed my Bible because they were happy that I was trying to salvage the church. So no one could ever put me in a box, and that, that created a great deal of turmoil for me.
1: <laughs> That's interesting.
0: Because people would say this and say that, and I just had to get the place, Dr. Mark, that I would just say, to God be the glory now and forever.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, you, your ministry over these decades was one of a unique Uh, impact and and you you were your own self you were always just you never allowed anybody to squeeze you into their mold yeah morris as we come come toward an end here i know you founded leadership institute and now you've transitioned yet again to let a new president step into leadership institute and Uh as you're coming toward the aging years and i am I like to ask veterans one question. This, I always end my podcast with this. If you could speak to leaders, business, political, uh, church leaders all over the world, if you could speak to them all at one time and you could just really say one thing to them about leadership, what, what would you say? What would more say to all these leaders?
0: I would simply say stay the course. Stay the course. If you believe God was in you saying yes to whatever the assignment might happen to be, then for goodness sake, stay the course. And that's what I did in every situation. Sometimes that meant I couldn't stay the course because I had a very sick wife who was battling multiple sclerosis at the time I was at Beverly Hills Baptist Church. But as best as I could, maybe that's a better way to say it, as best as I could, stay the course.
1: Well, you certainly have stayed the course, not only in ministry, but in life uh, and in your commitment to Jesus Christ. And I've I've admired you from everything that you've done. I admire your leadership, your ministry, and our friendship has been a personal blessing to me, Morris. And I want to thank you for being here on, on The Leader's Notebook today. Thank you very much.
0: Well, sir, you were the great inspiration to me. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Uh, I hope I haven't said anything that's offensive to anyone. I just know that God has a purpose in our lives. And when we uh, pay the price to hear the purpose, it works out pretty well.
1: Today, my friends, you've heard from a veteran. This is Dr. Morris Sheets, my guest today. He has, he has served well and long. He's been in full-time Christian ministry, pastoring churches, founding churches, building mega churches, and bailing out churches since the middle 1960s. And now you're hearing the voice of veteran leadership. Thank you for joining us today. Until we meet again, this has been The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. You've been listening
0: to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at DrMarkRutland or visit his website, DrMarkRutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.